nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, here with you. It is Tuesday morning. The sky is blue. The World Cup is underway. Uh, we've got some great guests today. We have got lots going on. Matthew Said is going to join us from The Times. Uh, he's going to tell us what it's like to play uh, in an international sporting competition. He has, of course, got great experience of being a table tennis champion uh, in the Olympics. We're going to talk about what happened yesterday in Qatar. It's happening again today. We've got Argentina against Saudi Arabia underway and there's already a row about who's sits in the Royal Box, whether Saudi Arabia get on with Qatar, whether Qatar get on with anyone, uh, whether they can take away things about LGBT that people are wearing in various fan zones. We've also, though, got Sir Keir Starmer speaking to the CBI and telling us all that we need to be in some way less reliant on immigration in this country. It's a new policy for the Labour Party. It's a new policy for Sir Keir Starmer. We'll find out why he suddenly decided to change horses in midstream and why he suddenly now decided uh, that he wants to appeal to the Red Wall up in the north of England, which Labour seems to have lost a very, very long time ago. 0344 499 1000. Mark Saggers will check in with us on the World Cup front. We'll keep you upgraded uh, and upbraided on any news that comes from there. We'll also be talking about why Britain is such a country of litterers uh, after a bunch of men were actually fined uh, and punished for fly tipping. There seems to be a problem in this country with people putting things away and looking after the countryside and not making it look like an absolute tip. Literally. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. She'll be telling us what she knows about the Shemima Begum case. And uh, she'll be talking about Donald Trump and why he won't take his position back on Twitter. Also, we want to talk about energy as well, because it looks as though energy suppliers are failing customers all over the place. Ofgem are also not doing very much about it. Uh, and taxpayers are now facing yet another astronomical bill, this time £9.2 billion for collapsed energy firms. Why do we have to pay for it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, you're looking at me. I am Mike Graham. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here. It is a Tuesday. It's a beautiful looking day. It's very cold. I did say yesterday it felt as though winter had suddenly become uh, a thing. And of course, all of you disagreed with me and said, oh, no, winter doesn't start until at least December the 21st. I'm not sure if that's true. But let's talk right now to our first guest, Matthew Side, Sunday Times columnist and author. His latest book is What Do You Think? How to Agree and Disagree and Still Be Friends. I'm a great champion of that because uh, I disagree with people all the time. In fact, some people call me quite disagreeable. Matthew, a very good morning to you and welcome. Morning, Mike. Great to see you. It's been too long. I know. I, I know. I it, really, the... it really has. We've got loads to talk about, though, haven't we? We have. It's it's a fascinating period. And I think we're going through, more generally, a, a hugely exciting period politically, culturally. So, so it's great to have an opportunity to talk it through. I've got to say, in the olden days, when I used to come on talk sport, I used to do talk sport, I'm right in saying, yes. you, honestly, you've got an image transformation because your hair was less tidy. <laughs> it was, I've I've everything you, now, everything I, I was think, less tidy. Yeah, that is true. This is true. But uh, you're looking great. Well, thank you very much. Well, do you know, it's funny, just before we relaunched Talk TV um, as a TV station, we actually went down into the bowels of this building and did a radio show uh, where you were you couldn't see outside. You couldn't see there were no windows and it was literally nobody could see what you were doing. And it, there was something quite comforting about just doing a radio show that people could only listen to. But we've moved on from that now. And, 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 you know, I was often told that I had a face for radio and I had a, I had a show for a long time on Five Live and I now have one on Radio 4. I've got to tell you, I've never been offered 
anything on television. And I'm, I'm, I'm becoming slightly self-conscious about the way I look, Mike, but you, you've managed to break through that particular... The sound barrier. Yes, listen, if, if I can do it, Matthew, I think anybody can. I saw that you were on with Piers Morgan the other week as well, so, so the transformation is already on the way. But let's, let's kick things off with Qatar... Um, we've got m much to say about Keir Starmer and his policy on immigration, but, but let's kick things off with Qatar because I don't think I've ever seen sport wrap itself and tie itself up in knots quite so much as we've seen in the last 48 hours. I, I've got to say, watching the, the... I watched both games yesterday, England uh, against Iran and Wales against the United States, and whilst I think definitely one has to be conscious of the way that certain regimes try and sports wash... This is a familiar story, going back actually to the ancient Greeks in the original Olympic Games, but certainly very significantly in Berlin in 1936, Hitler unquestionably used the 1936 Olympic Games to try and effectively restore legitimacy with his own domestic population. And I think most historians agree that the propaganda coup of that event was very significant. Putin has used sport very successfully. Mm. He's launched invasions after hosting jamborees that has increased the level of patriotism, sometimes when his own polling has declined in that rather autocratic country. So I do think we need to keep an eye on all of that. But I don't know about you, I just really enjoyed watching the football yesterday. But I think the trouble is, is that we now live in a world where everybody's so desperate to prove how worthy they are that they get themselves into these situations. I mean, Gareth Southgate completely sort of engineered his own demise yesterday before the game started because he was so busy trying to make sure um, that we were going to stand up to FIFA and that we want to show the message to the world that we are very much in favour of LGBT rights and all of that. Uh, a line of message about to take a penalty, by the way, while we're doing this. Um, but, but, you know, it was all unnecessary. They didn't need to wear an armband. They didn't need to do what they wanted to do. And then they wouldn't have had to capitulate and look so idiotic. Well, I, I think the um, the FA had to accept the FIFA rule. If you're going over there to play football mm. and to try and win a competition, if the governing body under whose jurisdiction you're playing says that you can't wear political statements whilst not in the field of play, otherwise you'll get a yellow card, then you either go along with it or you go home. Right. And, you know, I, I think it was inevitable that, that Kane would, would take the armband off. Um but once, you know, once those games started, I think you begin to see that sport can be a wonderful escape mm. from politics. You know, I'm into politics. You know, you are. We, you broadcast about it. I write about it in the Sunday Times. You know, a lot of people are engaged in politics. They watch these kinds of programmes. They read my column. In a democracy, it's great for the population to be engaged. But we need safety valves. Mm. We need to switch off. We need to be able to say life is about more than politics. What is politics for? It's so that we can live our lives in a way that is free from all sorts of potential difficulties. And what do we like to do when we've got our free time? We love to watch sport. We love yeah. to play sport. And I think if we always try and shoehorn politics into an environment like sport, it can take some of the, the free song and the joy away from what these sports are effectively about, these invented yes. games that give joy to so many right. people. Well, speaking of joy, Lionel Messi just scored his first goal in, in the 2022 World Cup, his penalty, and the fans in Argentina's fan zone there are uh, jumping up and down. You know, it is, no, it's, it's a remarkable thing, and, and hopefully, as, the, as the, the, the games go on, as the World Cup goes on, it will become less about the politics and more about the, um, about the sport. But unfortunately, there are too many hypocrites out there. And when I watch Gary Lineker um, doing his sort of monologue the other day on Match of the Day, where he suddenly turned himself into an expert on human rights. You just thought to yourself, 
just leave it alone. Leave that to Jeremy Bowen. Let, you know, um, the other parts of the BBC, uh, Ros Atkins and whoever do it. You don't do it. Well, I think I agree only to a point with that. I mean, I do think that uh, I was disappointed with Gary Neville. Mm. Gary Neville has portrayed himself as somebody with a tremendous conscience. Uh, He's a very strong and vocal supporter of the Labour Party. You might remember before the uh, election, was it the 2019 or 2017, when Corbyn was standing for Labour, who I thought was a real threat to the security of the nation. He said, vote Labour. So he's often portrayed himself as a human rights supporting, Mm. left-leaning, ex-footballing intellectual. And of course, he's gone out there to, to commentate for the for the host broadcast. And I think that's very hypocritical. Yeah. Lineker, I didn't see the monologue, to be honest. I, I mismatched the day. But would you agree with me, Mike, that we in liberal democracies mustn't leave politics to the experts? We have to take a view. I used to hate it when, as a former table tennis player, thanks for calling it table tennis, by the way, and not ping pong. <laughs> um, I would offer a view on politics and people say, stick to the ping pong. Why don't you leave politics to the politicians? And I think, who are the politicians? Yeah. They were the people I went to uni with. Boris Johnson, Joe Johnson. I was in a class with Rory Stewart. Mm. These aren't experts. These are people who have decided to go into politics. We need to challenge them. Absolutely. We need to, we need to have our, an independent point of view as citizens. And I don't like the idea that just because someone's an ex-footballer, they can't express a view. But what I do think is we should be able to criticise yes. that. Yes. I don't have a problem with Gary Lineker having a view. What I have a problem with is when he is hosting Match of the Day, that is a football programme, right. and therefore he's employed by the BBC to talk about football. And the fact that he has become so kind of invincible inside the BBC that he can pretty much do whatever the hell he likes, I think there's a problem with that. Let me ask you a question. Imagine it's the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics. Mm. Hitler wants this this tournament to be just about the sport, uh, for people to celebrate the wonderful human achievements, because he knows that psychologically this is going to rehabilitate Germany in a certain sense. Mm. Would you expect a broadcaster at that point not to allude at all, or do you say just leave it to the news programmes, have a a complete Chinese wall, a complete distinction between the sports and news output? You can talk about the politics on the news, not at all on the sport. Because I'll tell you what, Mike, when Abramovich took over at Chelsea, do you remember Mm. all those years ago? This is somebody, and I was writing this in the Times for a decade, saying we need to focus on what Abramovich is doing here. This is money that had been stolen from the Russian people that is being recycled in a West London football club. Mm. It's a form of sports washing. And you know what? The fact that we're giving Abramovich a free ride means that other people in Russia are swindling the Russian people, knowing their money can be recycled over here. I didn't like the fact that Match of the Day commentators would say, oh, there's Abramovich in Mm. the stands and he's having a giggle and and a drink. Isn't it wonderful? Well, hang on a second. This, we need to tell the truth. We need to call it out, even in the sports commentary. Yes. I didn't like okay. that. Well, that's, that's, a very, that's a good point that you make. I, I think you've slightly over-egged it by comparing Qatar to, to Hitler's Olympics in Berlin. However, um, they didn't do it in Russia. They didn't do it in China. When they went to China, there was no speech about human rights before the Olympics started. When they went to the Russian World Cup, there was no speech about human rights. And by the way, in Russia, their attitude to LGBT is about the same as it is in Qatar. Oh, but that, that, well, that's not quite true. I mean, I, I definitely was writing about my fear about what would happen. I mean, look. No, I'm talking about the BBC. It, it, I'm not saying you weren't doing it. I'm talking about. Right, the, right. I'm talking about the BBC. Gary Lineker did it only in Qatar, nowhere else. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's correct, Mark. I'd have to go and look at the output. I was actually there. <laughs> he says as somebody who was who was working for the BBC in Beijing in 2008. I'm pretty sure. In fact, I know. I know I did. So I actually made a film 
for the BBC whilst out there about the political dimension to the Olympic Games that was taking place. Well, all right, well, let, well, I, hesitate, I, hesitate to, I hesitate to say, Mike, it won an award. Did it? Um, so Blimey. there definitely was some political good. output during the, during the sports coverage. <laughs> but but, but my, my point is a broader one, that they didn't not cover deliberately the opening ceremony. They did not start the coverage of the event with a massive monologue about human rights. Yes, you can do things off to the side. Of course you can, and so you should. But what I'm saying is this was treated very differently, Qatar, to anywhere else that's ever had any kind of competition like this. But stay where you are, Matthew, because we're going to take a short break. I want to come back and talk to you about Keir Starmer. I want to talk to you about what you said in your column on Sunday as well, about how confusing the political world is right now, because it really is. Matthew Said um, is a great man, a great thinker, somebody that we want to get on this show on a regular basis, and we will. Keir Starmer says at the CBI conference this morning that we should be less reliant on immigrants. Now, where are all the people out there in the Labour Party calling him a racist? Because surely that's what they should be doing. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Access all arguments. Shut up and listen. We're on your side. The home of common sense. Talk Radio. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham with me, Mike Graham. Of course, we're talking to Matthew Sayed, Sunday Times columnist and author. I very much enjoyed, Matthew, your column this week uh, likening the world of politics that we're currently experiencing to sort of Alice in Wonderland because it really does seem as though there is a kind of myopic quality, if that's the right word, to what's going on inside the House of Commons these days. You know, they just seem to kind of clap for something one day and then clap for something the next day, which is completely different. It, I, I was astonished, Mike, by the fact that when Boris Johnson would announce his economic policy in the House of Commons, you would see backbench Conservative MPs waving their order mm. papers and saying, here, 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 and they would be punching the air, more, more. Then the trust comes in with her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, mm. and effectively rips up what Boris Johnson believed in, reverse the corporation tax increase, national insurance, they kind of blew a hole in the macroeconomic mm. policy. And what are the backbenchers doing? They're like, oh, yes, here, here. And I was like, hang on a second, <laughs> hang on a second. You were cheering something completely different two weeks ago. Then Jeremy Hunt gives his statement. It's exactly the same thing all right. over again. And what, it, what it struck me, Mike, Aristotle, the great uh, Greek philosopher, argued, I think, correctly, that the hallmark of rationality is consistency and non-contradiction. Mm. And the fact that the representatives of our nation in a representative democracy are cheering without seeming to realise that they're cheering contradictory policies pretty much within within yeah. the same month. What it, what it indicated to me really was the low quality of our backbench members of parliament, from whom our ministers are selected, by the way. I think we're at a historic nadir, an historic low point in the quality and intelligence mm. of our uh, members of parliament. My very unpopular solution, by the way, and you're going to push back on this, I know, we need to increase the pay. We, we, need, we need politics to be a profession that the most talented people in our nation want to do. It's too toxic at the moment, but the pay is so low. So what people do, they go into politics and then make their money in big business mm. as soon as they leave through the revolving door. I think this is a catastrophe for... For our politics. But it, you're right, Alice in Wonderland, mm. some ways, is an understatement for what's going on. It is. But, I mean, the trouble with paying people more money is that you then expect more from them. And I think the trouble with a lot of the people we have is that there's not much more they can give. And there's plenty of people working in the public sector who get a lot more money than MPs get, who are also useless. 
You know, think of the people running the NHS on six-figure salaries. Think of the people running the police on six-figure salaries. Civil servants in the Home Office, in the Foreign Office, in the Department of Work and Pensions. You know, they're all getting paid an awful lot more money than the MPs, but they're just as bad. Well, what you want then is two things. You want to have high pay linked to high accountability. Mm. The, the real problem is when there's high pay but no real proper accountability so that people are not filtered out of their jobs for low performance. So one of the reasons markets work, free competitive markets, is because if a company underperforms, they lose consumers, they go bankrupt. That level of accountability means that the people who perform well receive the rewards. Those who perform badly are filtered out of the marketplace. Mm. We need higher levels of accountability properly introduced within the public sector. But you would have thought, Mike, that if in a democratic system, there is some accountability at the ballot box. I know it's not perfect with safe seats and first past mm. the post. We, we can talk about that another time. But I do think there are a lot of very talented young people who are deterred from politics, part, partly by the toxicity. And I admit MPs are partly to blame for that. The expenses scandal, they brought a lot of abuse upon themselves. You know, you look at Twitter and MPs received the most horrible ad hominem abuse. And it's partly their fault, I think partly the fault of Twitter and some of the posters. But I, I do think that if you had high accountability and higher pay, we'd get a higher quality of... of I think of I think we could certainly strive for that. I mean, look at the front page of the Mail today. You pay for MPs' Christmas parties. I mean, you know, it doesn't, they don't help themselves out, do they? Because the problem is no. they've now become kind of addicted, I think, to public money. And they've become addicted to non-accountability. And therefore, we've got a horrible mix of people who think it's their absolute right to do whatever they want with our money and then tell us why we have to give them more. Yeah, but I do think there are some good... I mean, look, I do think there are some very talented MPs. There are. And there are some high-quality no people. And I think throughout our history, one of the things that has unquestionably been the case is we have had quite a high quality of representative politician, and that has stood us in good stead, mm. right? Let's not forget, Mike, even though... You know, we're not one of the biggest 20 countries in the world by population. I think we're still one of the biggest five or six economies. We often hover between five and mm. six. That's a good track record. Yeah. And I think we should be proud of it. And I think we have had capable politicians. And you know what? At times in our history, capable public servants as well. Our civil service was the envy of the world in the, in the, in the 19th century. I think it has gone down. I think there needs to be higher accountability. I'd like to see more engineers, mm. uh, more people with a background in quantitative subjects in the public sector. At the moment, it's too dominated by people with arts backgrounds, yeah. classics, PPE. These are not bad subjects, but when you have too many, they're not, I think, in tune with the the material and quantitative mm. realities that we're dealing with in the world today. For example, in the Chinese civil... Ch China was the first country in the world to have a civil service exam. I mean, I think they had that during the Qin unification, you know, more than 2,000 mm. years ago. And that, that's been one of the secrets of their long-term success. I know they had a, a poor period in the early modern era. But I do think we need to recruit a better quality of public servant too. And, and there we need people with more quantitative background. Yes, I think so. And you also wrote this week about experts and the kind of the, the time, which I think is slightly past, where being called an expert was something of a derisory remark. You know, it was, it was meant more as, as an insult than a compliment. And I agree with you about that, that that's not a good thing. However, what I would add is that I think some of the experts brought that on themselves, because many of the experts that we listened to were so arrogant about how they were right about, for example, remaining in the European Union or leaving the European Union, or whether or not we should wear a mask, or whether or not we should, you know, sit in a room with less than six people and eat a scotch egg. You know, some of the expert advice was rubbish and useless, and so I think the experts have kind of demeaned their own um, 
uh, currency, if you like. There's two types of expert. I mean, you're right, by the way, the early advice of Sage up until about March 2020, I mean, they were clearly wrong. Yeah. Um, and if you go and read the minutes, it's, it's very interesting how it changed through mm. time. But some experts change their minds in the light of new evidence. They're good experts. That's yes. the hallmark of science. You test your theories. You're willing to constantly amend them in the mm. light of new data. Other, other experts become ideological. Yeah. They become completely committed to their own point of view, and they never really change their mind. They're very dangerous people, no doubt about that. Yeah, no question. Let's finish up with a plug for your book. Um, what do you think? How to agree and disagree and still be friends. Very important, this, actually, by the way, not to be underestimated, because we do live in a very toxic society now where people just can't get along with other people, and they've become sort of pathological about those that they disagree with. It's, it's dangerous for our youngsters, Mark. Mm. I've got to tell you, I wanted to write this book because I want young people not to be protected in safe spaces. I want them to be in courageous spaces, right. to develop the self-confidence and the resilience that they can listen to alternative points of view, there they is. can courageously evaluate, that, Mike, we can disagree without falling out. You and I disagreed earlier on about, I can't mm. remember what it was now, but it doesn't mean I think you're a bad person, Mike. It's, you have a different position. Yeah. I've listened to what you've said. I learned from what you said. I'll go and watch the Lineker monologue, see what he, you know, this is what liberal democracy should be about. And I wanted to empower young people to have the tools so that they can engage in the social media in a productive way and really leave school and go into the wider world with the most important quality of all, which is resilience. Mm, absolutely right. And I worry, uh, and I've got a 15-year-old who's still in the school system, that schools right now do not encourage that. They discourage dissent. They discourage um, anything other than groupthink. And they more or less make out that if you've got a, a different opinion to the one which is this considered opinion, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And I, I think schools need to be checking that trend mm. completely because otherwise young people start to self-censor. Yeah. They don't express a point of view because they're worried about the fallout. They worry they might get cancelled. Mm. They're worried they might be victims of a pylon. Think about that. The greatness of liberal democracies, and I use it in the classical sense, you know, free speech, open debate, open societies, is when people discuss and disagree productively. Mm. I don't think we're living in that kind of an era at the moment. I think that's very, very dangerous. Yeah, absolutely right. Listen, delightful to see you, Matthew. Thank you so much for coming on. We must do it more regularly and more often. Matthew Side, Sunday Times columnist and author, his latest book, What Do You Think? How to Agree and Disagree and Still Be Friends. It's almost the hallmark of this very show. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Mark Sagger's coming next. I think the Argentinians have just scored another goal. I think they're 2-0 up, aren't they? Um, uh, no, they're not. Apparently not. No, I got that wrong. Uh, Mark Sagger's will be here to correct me. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on this morning. We've got a hell of a week actually coming up. We're in the midst of the World Cup. Uh, it's day three, would you believe? Argentina and Saudi Arabia underway. Argentina 1-0 up uh, thanks to a penalty uh, from Lionel Messi. We are going to now go live uh, to the World Cup bunker uh, of one Mr Mark Saggers. He was with us yesterday, Talk TV host, of course, uh, with his great Sunday night show. He was talking us through all of the shenanigans and the madness of yesterday. England with the armband fiasco. Uh, all over, uh, overshadowed and forgotten uh, by a magnificent win and a great performance. Wales also did pretty well, uh, got a one-all draw uh, against the Americans. And so let's go to Mark now and find out what's happening today and what the fallout is, because I understand, Mark, uh, a very good morning to you, that there's some controversy around Saudi Arabia and the royal box today as well. 
Yeah, there's all sorts of uh, usual rubbish going on <laughs> with uh, the World Cup, which is absolutely fantastic. Just before we talk all about that, because uh, I'm getting a little old now and I might forget, the last piece in the news there about bird flu and the eggs. Yes. What's more important, I was speaking to uh, a lady from the Scilly Isles only a couple of days ago. Mm. Worth you lot checking this out. That The Scilly Isles now has got shoals of dead gulls and beautiful birds in the water, mm. all just about being wiped out by this Asian flu that's... Yeah people haven't been talking about. Yes, well, we were talking about, as you would expect, Mark, last week uh, with the yeah. black farmer. He came in and I said to him, how serious is this? And he said, it's very serious. He said, it's, it's I said they've locked down serious. all these birds. I said, do they really have to lock them down? He said, you absolutely do, because if one of them gets it and you've got a thousand chickens, you've got to kill them all, you know? Yeah. And he reckoned, he reckoned that you might be in trouble getting a turkey for Christmas. Well, plants eggs down the road from here. I know the family really well. I'll find out whether they're still selling them by, by the crate, which is what they usually yeah. do. So, uh, what I can tell I'll, you is I'll I was, in, I, was in, uh, I was in Waitrose in a place called Hailsham um, on mm. Saturday, and they had plenty of eggs. Oh, good. Well, so, that's all we care about. So really. as, long, we care. as long as you can still get your poached egg on your breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you very Look, much. Back to, anyway, listen, back to where listen, you'll probably fry a poached egg at the moment. It's so warm still in... Uh, <laughs> The world in, in I mean, we're going to be seeing you in this bunker, right, on a quite regular basis. We better yeah. get used Me to it. Me and my mate Pele. Yeah, you and your mate and Pele. And by the way, by the way, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, we're done with him for a little bit of yeah. a while. I know that Piers Morgan isn't. Last night, Kevin Peterson tried to tell us that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is a better footballer than Lionel Messi. Yeah. I've never heard so much rubbish in all my life. And um, I think that uh, it was brilliant that Mark Lawrenson also on yes. the great Piers Morgan show, he put um, Peterson away as if uh, he'd just bolded one that moved well, away and was caught you know what? It was absolutely brilliant. But knowing Piers Morgan as we do, he'll just have to get Lionel Messi on now, won't he, for a 90-minute interview? Well, why not? Why yeah. not? He scored, he scored from the penalty spot. He missed a sitter early on. Second goal just offside. Argentina in control about Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia, I'm not sure about the royal protocol at this uh, no. World Cup. I'd love to know, in fact, what Gianni thinks about it. Perhaps today he is a royal, Mike. Well, I mean, I think he does think of himself as one. I was hearing today a report uh, of whenever he goes anywhere in Qatar, he's just referred to as Mr. President. Yeah. You know. he nearly, I've, I've seen him in the past where he forgets where he is, he gets out of the back of the car and he nearly sort of puts his hand out right. like this. The man's completely barking mad. Yeah, it's, no. a, it's amazing. But at least yesterday, for a, for a few brief moments, oh, the football was the main main event, wasn't it? it? Do you know what? England, I was so pleased for England. They played so well. Um, Iran were useless. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to them, they've got more bottle than our boys who mm. promised uh, Harry Kane and uh, Gareth Bale had promised to wear the armbands and didn't. But Iran didn't sing their national anthem. That could cause them all sorts of problems when they uh, uh, go back home, yeah. if they ever do go back home. Now, they're probably... Come over here, weren't they? Well, I'm going to claim the sign. Stay at one of our one of our hotels, yeah. and why not? Um, but you know, for England uh, to see the emerging talent of the likes of Jude Bellingham, who's going to be who is already world class, yeah. and uh, young Saka as well, both of them scoring for England. England getting six goals in a match has never been a six-two before. Mm. Um, they'll be disappointed at the penalty that was given late on. I think that suddenly the referee just felt a bit sorry. For Iran, I think, because it could have been any other reason, particularly after Harry Maguire was sort of wrestled to the ground yes. very early on, and that should possibly have been a penalty. But a good start for England. But this group's by no means over. Right. The problem is, Mike, that we play the, the Americans next. They're going to do what they always do, organised, 
play reasonably well. We'll be disappointed they didn't beat Wales yesterday. Mm. But we play them. We've got to get something out of that game. And even if we beat them, um, we're then in a really good position. But if we don't, and if uh, there's other problems with Wales and what have you, it's still going to be a bit tight. I think we're going to go through the top of the group, which is what we need to do. Uh, Gareth Bale uh, probably doesn't move much quicker than you do these days, I don't think. No, I mean, I think that's very harsh on Gareth Bale, but, you know, I, I move when I have to, I think is the point. <laughs> I've seen you move when you have to. When, <laughs> well, I've seen you move away from the bar when I've walked in. That's anyway. very true. Absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, so, so I mean, it, it does seem to have calmed down a little bit. We're told, and I, I, yeah. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but the, the, but some of the Qatari sort of authority figures were removing yeah. people's clothing yesterday if they were turning up with T-shirts that had the wrong the thing rainbow on. Bucket the rainbow bucket hat. Rainbow bucket hat. Is not that. allowed. I mean, I mean, presumably. I haven't it's... seen one of these rainbow bucket hats. I haven't I got one. I feel as if we should have one. Yeah, I don't have one at the moment, but I don't. I mean, probably all in Qatar. Um, but so, what are the highlights the rest of the day today? What else have we got to, to look well, forward to? Well, I mean, to? The, you know, this this game is interesting because Saudi Arabia are a cute team as well, and they're doing okay. They can't finish, which will be the problem always yeah. for the lesser sides. We've got the Danes. Uh, coming up very shortly to play against Tunisia. Mm. That's going to be a tough game both ways. Uh, Mexico against Poland later on. Right. Mexico always can be difficult, mm. always can be nasty. Poland are going to be as tough as anything. Yeah. Look forward to that. And then one of the tournament's great favourites, France, who have lost Benzema. They've got other problems in midfield, but they're up against the Socceroos. Mm. And the Australians uh, themselves always give a good account of themselves. So I can't say very much more than that because I don't know an awful lot more yeah. about them than that. No, but they, well, they, they no, you're right. They, they're always kind of tournament-ready, the Australians, in almost any sport yeah, like that the, they turn up like for. Yeah, they're like the right? Americans. They are, and they, and they've got bottle. And what I like about the Australians, they will take no nonsense from the diving that we're already beginning to see from certain players. Yeah. And what are you and, making so far of the refereeing? It seems to me to be a bit shaky. Well, I don't know what they're doing at the moment still. The, the, the big thing, of course, is that VAR, uh, away from that first decision that was made, uh, is actually doing really well. Messi scored a second goal, actually, in the game that you, you, you thought he had. I heard you uh, yes. announce it. it. It turned out he was offside, actually, so right. you weren't wrong. I thought I'd but, seen a goal going in. Yeah, that was you it. Had, yeah. You had. You, you were absolutely spot on with Thank that, you. Mike. Uh, but what, what, what it means is that they get those decisions right mm. very, very quickly and just get on with it, mm. which is what we want. We don't want this two, three, four, five yeah. minutes. And um, another thing, I've got to just say this because this has annoyed me and this annoyed me yesterday. There's so many players going down at the moment when mm. they've been tapped around the ankle. I think there should be some mechanism just to haul them off the field. Yeah, like a penalty box scenario. Yeah, something like that. You know, just just something that says you're just wasting time. That, of course, is the other big talking point here. There is obviously somebody with a stopwatch. Good little job. We have had in games so far 23 minutes of uh, injury time in the England game. Okay, there was uh, there was one long injury to the goalkeeper. Yeah. But nine, nine in the Welsh last game. Night, yeah. Thirteen as well. I mean. It's extraordinary. People obviously haven't got any buses to catch. <laughs> well, in the case of Qatar in the second, the first game uh, against England, they were all gone by half-time, weren't they? They all walked out. <laughs> they did. They all walked out. I want, I, I, I'm hoping to go and catch another shot of the um, the Royal Box uh, during the second half and see, see what happens there. There, of course, are all these little bits and pieces because yeah. it is the first Middle Eastern World mm. Cup yeah. and all of these different... Um, countries and, and areas of the whole of the Middle East, they want to get in on the act. Yeah. They all want to be seen there.
and quite rightly too. And also, it's not uh, just it's not like the royal box here, where you just have the members of the royal family. There, you've got about fifty-eight different royal families. Oh, you know, they, they, they all come. You never you're never quite sure um, how many layers they do have. Right. Um, I still expect possibly to see Meghan turn up, don't you? At some stage. Oh yeah, absolutely. If the Americans, yeah. if the Americans get through the group. Oh yeah, to be like the John Terry moment, won't it? She'll be running on the pitch. It'll be great to look forward to. Mark, good to see you. Thank you very much, Mark Saggers, reporting from the World Cup bunker. Uh, we'll be seeing lots of Mark over the course of the next month because the the tournament goes on for a long time. We're currently watching. Uh, the uh, Argentine uh, game against uh, Saudi Arabia. We'll keep you updated with that. Uh, there's a lot of people falling about, uh, a lot of people being fouled. There's 1-0 to uh, Argentina right now. Coming up, though, uh, we're going to talk about litter and the state of this nation. Plus, we'll take some calls as well. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a beautiful day out there, much nicer than yesterday. It's quite cold though. I got a new coat, nearly wore it, but it wasn't quite as cold as I thought it was going to be. Not quite frost on the car, but there is in other parts of the country I know, so uh, I'm not going to be too London-centric about it. I'm delighted to say though, Laura Dodsworth is here with us. I haven't seen her for ages, it feels like about two or three weeks, and I think you were on Zoom the week before. Uh, I went away to the US of A. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. The Iranian footballers, the World Cup in general, obviously the Shamima Begum case, which is ongoing at the moment. Um, and what is going on with Donald Trump and Twitter and Elon Musk? It's all quite fascinating stuff. Um, he put out a tweet yesterday, Elon Musk, saying, I'm having a great time. I just retweeted it. I, just, I don't know why. I just thought, good. I'm glad you're having a good time. Uh, somebody's got to be having a good time. Um, I'm having a good time as well, actually. But I don't, you know, don't listen to um, uh, all the people who call in because when they say they're not having a good time, they mean it. And a lot of people in this country are very fed up and very, I can't say the word, um, cheesed off. Uh, with the way things are going. Laura, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming oh, hello. in. Hello. Cheesed off is a phrase that is not used enough. No. I, I like that along with blimey. Blimey um, is good. I like blimey. I say that a lot. Crikey as well is a good one. I love crikey. Yeah. My, my giddy aunts. Yeah. Yes. All, all, let's, let's bring back all the oldies today. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's nice that you, you retweeted Elon Musk because spreading the good news mm. is, is important. So his... He's also tweeted in the last week, um, he tweeted a poll, mm. should we reinstate yes. Donald Trump? Right. Should Donald Trump be reinstated as a poll? Underneath, I mean, that, that was eye-catching enough, and that's really caught people's mm. attention, but underneath, just as eye-catching, he put a subtweet, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, mm. which means um, the voice of people, the voice of God. Yeah. Essentially, what he's saying to people, he's not saying it outright, but he's inferring, you get to choose. This poll is for you, the people, yes. to decide. I have a real problem with this because the voice of the people is not free speech. It mm. in no way enacts free speech. This is not democracy in action. In fact, a poll is the opposite. It's mob rule. Yeah. Now, if you believe in free speech, which is the bedrock upon all of our other freedoms yeah. are built then you should believe it applies to everybody equally. There should be a clear, consistent a policy that's applied to all accounts and all tweets. Yes. If you hand it over to Twitter users in a poll, which not, ev not everybody even knew about, that's basically giving a decision to the mob. That's the opposite but of free speech. But if you're asking if somebody should be given access to Twitter, shouldn't the Twitter Twitterati, for want of a better word, be the ones who decide? rather than the people who are not on Twitter, if you know what I mean? I don't think so. No? no, I don't. I think there should be a really clear content moderation tool. The thing about a poll is it plays into exactly um, what the lifeblood of Twitter is, which is toxicity mm. and tribalism. Yeah. 
Twitter thrives on polarization. Let's yeah. be honest. It's a really argumentative, conflictual platform. Mm. And that's exactly what a poll plays into. What Musk has done is not he's not freed the bird. He's feeding the bird. You yeah. know, he's feeding the beast. What mm. he's done is given a shot of adrenaline into the arm of the beast. Mm. That's what he's doing with this. So what poll. should he have done then? Well, he, what he said he was going to do was appoint a Twitter content moderation council, right. which would develop, we hope, a robust policy about free speech. What I would like to see is for that to happen following robust public consultation, mm. but I doubt it will. Then what he should do, and again, I bet he won't, is to make the algorithms that enforce that public. But he should be devising a clear set of rules. What he's doing is behaving like the techno king he's already styled yeah. himself as. Now, he's the one who's talked about Twitter being a public square. Yeah. And it is a public square. Public squares have always been subject to the rules of kings, petty officials and the and all he's done is show us there's a new king in town. He's behaving like an absolute monarch mm. because he's selectively applying rules that he's making up on the fly. And he did That's use not free speech. dreaded words, didn't he? Um, hate speech will still uh, result in you being banned from Twitter. And of course everybody then went, well, yeah, well, that's fine. But what is it, though? Well, this you, is, and who's going to decide? Well, this is the thing, you know. Is it is it going to be hate speech as they define it in Scotland? You know, well, we're all we're all in trouble then, aren't yeah. we? Hate speech is so subjective. Of course, Twitter's going to have to follow um, local laws yeah. in different territories that operate. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's no way he can avoid that. But what it does is also apply an extra filter often that goes above and beyond laws to keep them really safe. And it reflects the political and ideological motivations mm. of the people who work there. So some people have misunderstood me because I put out a substat today and they think I'm not happy that Trump is reinstated. I am. But what about all the other accounts mm. that should be reinstated? So this is the willful misunderstanding of the people on Twitter, isn't it? Who I'm sure must understand what you're saying, but are willfully not understanding it. 
No, I, I don't get that think a lot. so. I think I think it's genuinely a really conflictual um, platform. That's how it's designed. That's how people respond to it. Mm. They see a tweet, which is the ultimate in short form, and they respond. They don't really want to read what you're really no. saying in detail. Exactly. You know, there's like Can a 700 a word article behind yeah. my tweet yeah. where I flesh out the idea in detail. I think it's great to reinstate accounts. What about all the doctors that spoke out about? Um, um, COVID, mm. the lockdown measures, the non-pharmaceutical interventions or the vaccines, you know, they had their accounts closed. Yeah. Where is their recourse to justice? Are we going to have a poll for each person? Yeah. Is that really a fair way to well, decide I mean, if I people come back? Elon Musk knows what he's doing in the sense that, you know, a poll on Donald Trump is going to gain an awful lot of attention and it's going to gain an awful lot of traction. Yeah. Whereas a poll about some doctor that nobody's remembered won't. So he I, won't do that. I think he does know what he's doing and what he's doing. He he knows this. He knows he's not enacting democracy or freedom of speech. What he's doing is feeding the beast. Yes. He's trying to create exciting polarising content, which is exactly what a poll does. Let's look at all the YouGov polls that governments, mm. um, politicians increasingly rely upon to guide policy. We know they don't really guide policy so much as set the course mm. of direction. Polls are not a route to democracy, they distort democracy. Well, as we can see from the BBC Virtue Signalling Brigade on Match of the Day, um, you know, simply sitting somewhere which is not a very nice place and saying, well, we're here because we want to have the conversation and it's nothing to do with the money, uh, completely distorts that conversation as well. And the people justify what they do by saying, oh, well, of course, we should have the conversation, which brings us on to the Iranians Mm -hmm. versus England. Um, in more ways than one. England won the football match, but I think Iran uh, won the moral high ground. Absolutely. I mean, it gave me a lump in my throat Mm. when the Iranian football team didn't sing the national anthem. So they have been called upon by the protesters in Iran to speak out... um, to support the protests, which were triggered by the death of the young woman, Marza Amini, who mm. was killed in police custody um, over not wearing her hijab properly. Right. You know, these protests have been um, sparking debate and inspiration all around the globe. And it's a very difficult position for the Iranian football team to be in mm. because if they speak out, they do risk serious backlash, not just for them, but potentially also for their families. For, so for them not to sing the national anthem, anthem was a true act of courage. Now let's contrast that with the England football mm. team. I'm sorry, guys, but you know they said they were going to wear the One Love Rainbow armband, which I'm not particularly entranced with anyway because they're still playing in Qatar where right. it's illegal to be homosexual. Right. They've decided not to wear the One Love Rainbow armband, presumably because they don't want to risk being uh, not booked for the yes. next game. But what they did is they dropped to their knees. They took the knee. Mm. That is weak need. Which apparently the- isn't a political statement. Of course, what, do, what does it mean? What how does is it, mean? it, how it's, is it it's, not a political statement? It's, we know it's an empty virtue signal because it's completely safe. There is no comeback for them in dropping the knee, except in losing the respect mm. of more people. Yeah. If you don't know what you stand for, if you don't know what your values are, you know, do you stand up for LGBT rights or not? If you don't know what you stand for, your weak knees, your knees buckle. Mm. And for them, taking the knee was an example of their knees buckling. Yeah. It was an empty gesture. And also, Gareth Southgate said before they left, we will not be bullied by FIFA, we will wear this armband no matter what they say. And so he didn't even get that right. Until it threatened to come at a cost. Whereas the Iranian football team have risked their professions, they might have risked their safety, they might have risked their family's safety. They have more matches to go. Let's see if they sing the anthem or not. If they do, I suspect they will have been pressured into Mm. it. And if they don't, we know that they're doubling their risk. Yeah. Absolutely right. And those are the proper kind of concerns that people have. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it, to find 
an absolute clear separation between sport and politics because we live in a connected world you can't you can't dispute that there are going to be problems with countries that play football against one another in the same way that in Saudi uh, against Argentina today there was a row apparently over the rural box because there's so many different royal families in the Middle East some of which don't get on with it with others the Saudis don't get on with the Qataris the Saudis don't get on with Iran you know it's going to be tricky but um, the footballers should at least stay out of it I think well, it's one or the other. It's mm. one or the other. It looks really terrible to say that you're going to take an action in support of a minority group uh, and then not take it because it came right. at a cost to yourself. There's no courage in that, is there? No. I'm just told Saudi Arabia have equalised. Extraordinary. So it's 1-1 one, one, um, in Qatar. Let's talk a little bit about um, Shemima Begum. because, mm. um, And I keep saying Shemima. People keep saying it's Shemima. Isn't it Shemima Begum? That's what I've been told. So I'm going to go with Shemima then in that case. Um, this story doesn't seem to want to go away. Mm. She has been trying to get back to Britain to have a trial here or to have resettlement or whatever now since about, what, 2019, I suppose you would say? And 2019 was when she was found by Anthony Lloyd, the, the Times journalist, when she said she had no regrets joining ISIS. And now mm. her lawyers are saying, but she was trafficked. It's a really complicated story. I have to say, I'm just grateful that I don't have to make the decision about Shamima Begum. I mean, overall, this is going through it's going through the British courts mm. and we have to trust due process. We have to trust that there is evidence that's going to emerge to make this case clear one way or the other. I mean, on one hand, when she left this country, she was 15. Mm. She was a minor. Now, if she was sex trafficked, and I don't think she was, but if she was, then she deserves to be protected as a minor. On the other hand, it's interesting that this is only coming out now. This is not something she ever said before. Mm. And she's asking for a level of support, sympathy and protection that's certainly been denied girls in England who are victims of grooming gangs. Yeah. I don't have personally um, a great deal of empathy or sympathy for Shamima Begum's argument in this case. But when she went and joined ISIS, it was after very well-publicised beheadings yeah. that were all over social media. Right. It was after genocide of Shia Muslims and Christians. She knew what she was getting into. Mm. She was 15. In this country, the age of criminal responsibility starts at 10. Yeah. So I think she knew what she was doing, and I think they're just trying to be clever um, and play this victim card about sex trafficking, the fact that she was a minor, to try and give her back her British mm. citizenship. It is shocking to think of citizenship being stripped from somebody, being stateless, and there should be a really high bar for that. But she became a poster girl right. for ISIS. Also, this is a pretty high bar. Is that bar? not a high bar? Yes. Exactly. It really is. Well, we're going to talk some more about this. We're going to take a short break. Laura Dosworth is here. We're talking about uh, Shamima Begum and the reason why she should be treated, in my view, very differently from anybody else who has ever been treated like this in the past. And we'll get into that. Plus, much more coming next on Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Um, Saudi Arabia are now winning uh, the game against uh, Argentina. We got a shot, I believe, of the uh, Argentinian fans in Buenos Aires not looking terribly happy. My goodness me. Just before <coughs> this game, um, everybody was like, well, Saudi Arabia haven't got much chance, have they? Well, now they're 2-1 up. Anyway, uh, we've been talking about the World Cup. Laura Dodsworth is here, but we've moved on. Uh, we'll keep you updated, of course, with anything else that happens. Uh, Shamima Begum, as we were saying, I was on the talk last night and I said the thing about the way that we have treated Shamima Begum 
differently to anybody else, is, I think, justified. Sajid Javid was the guy who stripped her of her citizenship. Bangladesh, where she was never a citizen but where her parents came from originally, um, has said that if she was to go back to Bangladesh, she would be executed um, under their terrorism laws because they're in no doubt that she's a terrorist. Those who have interviewed her in the past have said that she's certainly been guilty of, of, of um, consorting with terrorists. She married her husband, who was a terrorist, who killed people. She helped him to do that in various different ways. Uh, she's been accused of sewing um, suicide bombers into their suicide vests and all of that. And as I say, in 2019, when she was first found, when she was no longer a minor, she said she had no regrets. Absolutely. I mean, she never exhibited any um, sorrow or regret uh, or shame mm. for what she'd done. And we we do have to treat minors differently. You know, they, they have a different capacity for reasoning and behaviour and we have a different responsibility to, towards them. But she was she was 15. She was five years over this. Yeah. This. this um, limit of criminal responsibility right. she's nearly 16 she was clearly articulate clearly intelligent you know she's a bright student she knew what she was doing mm. and she didn't just go there and have training and join a vile extreme terrorist organization she willingly became their poster mm. girl and that's what was so dangerous about it her actions her face encouraged other people to support isis yeah. So I think in her case, the bar is high. Now, she's not the only one, of course. Uh, Yehadi Jack, mm. dual, uh, dual British-Canadian citizen, had his citizenship uh, citizenship stripped too. And I think there are cases where this is warranted mm. because uh, it's just so important for the British state to punish and to deter people right. from joining terrorist organisations. Yeah. I can't even believe it needs saying. Right. And the thing that I find, and a lot of people find disgraceful, is that she and her case is being subsidised by legal aid, i.e. we, the taxpayer, are funding it. Now, people who are um, all over the law will say, well, that's what Britain does, you know, that's what makes Britain, <coughs> what makes Britain great, is that, you know, we do uh, represent people who perhaps don't deserve representation. We do make sure that they get, you know, access to the law. But I think the problem with what she did and with other terrorist um, offenders is that they're doing things to basically strip away what we have in this country. They don't want what we have in this country. They would like to see it all destroyed. They don't want a legal system. They don't want a democracy. They want a theocracy of some kind, Islamic or otherwise. And I think that's entirely wrong. Therefore, I think they shouldn't get access to the law. They shouldn't get access to legal aid. They shouldn't get access to the, the, the pillars of our society, which they would like to destroy. It's a thoroughly unpalatable idea, mm. the fact that the British taxpayer is subsidising her legal aid. But you have to have clear rules and laws around legal aid. If she's actually entitled to it, she has to be given it. Perhaps the rules need changing. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, she, if, she, if she's entitled to it, she should receive it as unpleasant as that is, because law has to apply to everybody. Mm. Um, and that, unfortunately, means Shamima Begum gets legal aid, yeah. unpleasant though that is it's not like this government doesn't waste enough of the British taxpayers' money. I mean they money. certainly do do that and there's plenty of probably other cases where legal aid has been granted to people and it hasn't been granted to other people, because certain types of cases there is none, but there's an awful lot of people who come here, for example asylum seekers, mm. who lose their asylum seeker uh, application and then get legal aid to challenge it Mm. And it's kind of bonkers to me. And I think to a lot of people that people who... It's the same way that people who are now coming here uh, who may sue the government for not being treated properly, mm. you know, having risked their lives to come from Syria or wherever, uh, or, you know, Eritrea uh, or Somalia, they get to Britain, don't like the way they were treated, although it was apparently a lot better than it was back at home, and they're now going to sue us and they're probably going to win. 
you, can I say something else about Shamima Begum? There's an there's an aspect of her um, change of heart which I feel really cynical about, and mm. that is her change of image. Yes. So obviously she's entitled, as all human beings, and especially as all young people are, to change their mind. Mm-hmm. But do you remember she used to dress extremely conservatively, yes. fully covered. Yeah. She's now become a lot more glamorous, yeah. right? She's trying to really appeal and and sell herself as a reformed character. So that's one thing. Well, she had like, hair and makeup for the last interview. Hair and makeup for the last interview. I feel really cynical about that. The other thing is, do you remember when she was filmed holding a baby? Mm-hmm. You know, she claimed she lost a baby. She may well have done. I I would have absolutely no idea. But also, when, you know, when she was filmed holding a baby before, there was also a sense that that was part of an image she was mm. trying to project yeah i think that she is either very well managed in relation to the image she projects or she's very clever about it and it just doesn't inspire any trust that she's genuine and she's also said many other things for example that the manchester arena bombing while not justified in killing innocent civilians was justified um, because it was in retaliation for some other attack on somebody in, in in a muslim land and she's also said that it was perfectly acceptable uh, to kill people who uh, had been sort of in some way insulting to uh, to the uh, mm. Islamic faith. So there's plenty of evidence to say that she has not in any way uh, rescinded what she believed in. And also, these people that, that really annoy me are those who say, oh, well, she was only 15, you know, people do stupid things when they're 15. Well, yeah, they do. They might go out and stay out all night. They might sleep with somebody they shouldn't. They might take drugs that they shouldn't take. They don't go and join a terror group and start killing people. Absolutely, this was you know? a very a very high bar. Now, fifteen year olds are quite capable of making stupid decisions, mm. wrong decisions, but also morally correct decisions. Um, they're, they're not without sense. And she she left her country, she left her family, her people mm. to join a terrorist group. It's the bar couldn't really be higher for this. She has decried the deaths of innocent people on all sides. Mm. She has, but she's exhibited no sorrow or shame or pity for um, the loss of innocent lives in this country. She doesn't sound like a British citizen. And her crimes were not committed here, so I see no reason why they should be tried here. Mm. You wouldn't try anybody else who had committed crimes abroad, would you, for crimes they'd committed overseas? Um, I I don't know if there's any precedent for that. I I don't know, but I'm going to be following this case with a lot of interest, you know, seeing what evidence emerges from um, the the MI5 um, intelligence throughout the court case. I mean, that has already kind of it thrown does, a Already bit of a it spanner. doesn't look good. That's already thrown a bit of a spanner into the works because it's such a murky world that you can never really know whether any of it's true or whether any of it is supposition or some of it is kind of embellished. You just don't know. Yeah, I know. I think that for people who are naturally sceptical and open-minded, you're, you're caught between a rock and mm. a hard place. You know, as a patriotic British citizen wanting to believe in due process, but understanding that security services won't always necessarily tell the truth about everything and just, um, you know, obviously hopefully acting in the best interests yeah. of, of the nation and looking after innocent minders at the same time. Mm. Final thought, uh, the NHS apparently is going to be terrible for years. That's what we were told yesterday. It comes as the least surprising news of the day. I think we knew that anyway, didn't yeah, we? I think so. The long shadow of COVID is still uh, do you, pointing do you know, its ugly finger at it. I think one of the next big campaigns to launch is going to be defund the NHS. Yeah. Some some brave soul is going to start this. You know, there's the, de- the defund the BBC yeah. campaign. There's going to be a defund the NHS campaign. Let's face it, most people who can afford it have got private health care. Mm haven't they? Yeah. Lots of companies offer private health care. People are going to want to start opting out of, mm. of paying into a service that they don't use. Right. Um, and ultimately, I, ultimately, I think some brave soul is going to launch a defund the NHS campaign.
campaign. Yeah, but it won't be in Scotland where they think the rich should pay more. I mean, I said to somebody yesterday, who do they think pays for it now? The people who actually pay tax. That's where it comes from. Anyway, Laura, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Laura Dodsworth, of course, uh, to be found on Twitter. Uh, some stacks all over the place that you can read uh, when she's not here. Coming up, uh, we'll take more of your calls. And, of course, we're going to talk about MPs, Christmas parties, and you paying for it. Great, isn't it? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course, Vanessa Feltz at four. Lots of you talking about fly tipping as well. Uh, his Dave in East Yorkshire. Mike, your discussion about fly tipping reminded me of a time when I was a kid when me and a mate wrote, keep Britain tidy on loads of paper and threw it out of my parents' car whilst they were driving us to the seaside. I soon learned the irony uh, that nature gets you into hot water. My dad was furious. Well, it does seem like a pretty daft thing to do, uh, keep Britain tidy and then throw it out the window. Uh, litter is my pet peeve, says Sharon, and fly tipping is a disgusting practice. I live near Salisbury and our countryside gets ruined by these shysters. If you want to know about littered streets, go to Malta. I love the country, but their rubbish is out of control. Well, it's interesting you say that because an awful lot of people uh, have had things to say about um, litter this morning uh, because it really does seem in this country that it is as bad as anywhere else in the world. But some of you are saying, no, no, uh, it's pretty bad in Malta. It's pretty bad in other parts of the world as well. Um, certainly not bad in the European countries I've been to and certainly not bad in the United States of America where I've also been. So um, much to say about that, much also to say about Shamima Begin. Many of you want to talk to me about that. Uh, am I correct in saying her father had something to do with radicalisation, taking her to his mosque, says Pam. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and Hannah says, Julie Hartley Brewer stated Begin's family relocated to Pakistan. Surely she could go there. After all, she does qualify for Pakistani citizenship. Well, I think her parents were Bangladeshi if I'm not mistaken. And certainly I did read yesterday that if she was to return to Bangladesh, the Bangladeshi government has said that she would actually be put to death as a terrorist. So I don't imagine that she wants to go there anytime soon, but we shall see. Uh, much more to discuss as well, including, as I said before, um, the rather bizarre notion that Christmas is coming, the goose is, or is not getting fat, it might actually be under lock and key because of bird flu, uh, so the goose might not be available. But never mind that. Uh, the the people who run this country, parliamentarians, want to have Christmas parties and they want us to pay for them. We'll tell you about that coming up later on. Right now, though, let's talk to Dr Lawrence Gerlis, GP at Same Day Doctor, because yesterday Rishi Sunak was addressing the CBI um, and he said he will always protect the National Health Service. It will always be free at the point of use. Well, I've got some news for Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of this country. It isn't free at the point of use, right? Because everybody pays into it in some way, shape or form. There might be lots of people who never pay into it, but it is never actually free at the point of use, and I think that is a bit of a misnomer. And also, in the same breath, we're told that long waits on the NHS are expected to last for years and years and years. And given that the population is expanding, it's not going to get any smaller anytime soon, is it? Dr Gerlis, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. No, it's, things aren't going to get better. Things are going to get steadily worse. Yes. It'll be a whimper, not a bang. It's yes. a slow, long whimper. Um, I, I agree with you. I think... Uh, the Prime Minister shouldn't use the word free. I get this quoted to me all the time. Oh, I'll go to the NHS, it's free. And I think we should start disabusing people of this notion. Right. Healthcare is extremely expensive. Mm. Um, uh, everything, the, the staff, the equipment, maintaining MRI machines, doing blood tests, it's all very expensive. Right. And that's why it's costing the NHS a lot of money. And that's why private care is expensive. Um, uh, it is not free. And... Even if, even if we don't bring in this £10 charge 
to see a GP that you and I have talked about, mm. which I still think is a very good idea. Yeah. Even if we don't do that, it might be an idea to let people know how much their health care actually costs. Yes. I think that's right, because I, I've, I've now started saying this as a, as a sort of narrative, that when I lived in America and my first daughter was born there, you know, I had something called Blue Cross Blue Shield, which was a, um, and what's what you might call a, a health management organisation, HMO, um, which paid for all of the medical stuff that I needed, including the birth of my first child. And basically I worked out that the amount of money I paid for that as a private individual is about the same amount of money that I pay here as a part of my income tax, about 20% of my income tax yeah. goes to the NHS. Yeah. And it's roughly the same figure, right? So actually, yeah. um, there's any number of different ways of cutting the cake, but you end up still paying the same amount of money. And if you don't yeah. pay because you don't have any money, that's the beauty of the NHS. But for those of us who do pay, you know, I think we deserve to get a better service. Yeah, and the irony is, of course, increasingly the people who pay the income tax are the people who don't use the service. And one of the things, that, facts that came out from yesterday's discussion that Scotland may charge wealthier patients for their NHS care yes. is that in Scotland, 40% of people don't pay any income tax. Right. Um, it was an interesting story because this wasn't allowing people in Scotland to go privately. This was allowing them to have the same standard treatment on the NHS with all the delays. Yeah. So you get a two-year wait for hip operation. But at the end of it... If you're in inverted commas wealthy, which presumably means you you know earn about thirty five thousand a year, right. then you'll get a bill um, because that's the, Scotland's way of raising money for the NHS. Yeah. Now clearly that's a nonsense, and right. people have distanced themselves from it. But it's interesting that the debate started because that's that's private medicine socialist style. Well, it um, is. You, and you it's pay also, twice. Pay it's twice. Also, yeah, not only that, it's the beginning of the end because it means that basically you believe that people who make more money should pay more for the same thing. So that means yeah. that you have to start applying that to everything. So, for example, if you want to get on a train and you've got more money than the guy sitting next to you, you should be paying twice the amount that he pays for his yeah. seat. Yeah, but that's what people think. People always think someone else should pay and yeah. it's always the rich. Uh, but how you define the rich varies from person to person. Um, another story that came out yesterday was that the Prime Minister sees a, is registered with a private GP. Mm. Now, this has caused howls of anguish, as you can imagine, in yes. the world of social media. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see why, it, first of all, it's of anyone's business. And as, as someone said, well, so a man with some money chooses how to spend his money. He's perfectly entitled to see a private GP. And as people said, we can hardly expect the Prime Minister to get on the phone at 8 o'clock in the morning and wait in a queue for an hour just to possibly talk to a doctor. Although famously, uh, of course, when Boris Johnson ended up having to be taken to hospital with COVID, he was taken to St Thomas's, a, na yeah. na a national health hospital in London. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think that the, the whole area of both private education, private medicine, raises all sorts of hackles, and people stick to an ideological position without actually looking at the practicalities. I, as I've said before, we should stop being embarrassed about private medicine. We have a two-tier mm. system. I work in the private sector. I know a lot of people um, who see private doctors, including the Prime Minister. He doesn't come to us, I have to say. Um, he might do one day. Not be, <laughs> let's not be embarrassed about it. Let's be open about it. Let's encourage people to use the private system. 
Um, and maybe that might take some pressure off the NHS. Yes, and also let's not uh, treat the NHS as if it is some kind of sacred cow uh, that is brilliant at everything um, and that is a lifesaver for so many people because I'm afraid yeah. for so many people it is quite the reverse. Ian Collins yeah. has told the story about uh, his uh, father-in-law uh, who died sadly a few weeks ago, um, not as a direct result of negligence, but, but certainly uh, his, his situation was, was worsened by NHS care. Similarly, yeah. I know of people um, you know, who have gone into hospital with one thing, somehow got MRSA and have become yeah. very ill. Or got into, yep. as, we, as we know from last, uh, last year and the year before, going into hospital with something, getting COVID and dying. Yeah, and we're still seeing a massive excess deaths above what we should have. Now, bear in mind, a lot of older people died during the pandemic. Yeah. So we shouldn't be seeing excess deaths right now. We should be seeing fewer deaths mm. than most years. We're seeing excess deaths mainly to cancers that weren't picked up during the pandemic, mm. heart disease, diabetes. So we're still seeing every week in this country, uh, we're doing very badly in looking after our, our citizens. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing more people dying than should be dying at this time of year. Or, and mainly, as I said, delayed diagnosis of cancer and heart disease, yeah. and it is very frightening. I mean, Laura Dodgers was just here, and she said, you know, it may well be that we have to get to some radical point where supposedly somebody emerges with a new idea, perhaps like defund the NHS. What do you make of that? Well, I've, I've, I think that we can't expect the politicians. What, what the Prime Minister said yesterday is what you'd expect a Prime Minister to say yes. two years before an election. You can't expect the politicians to do it. They don't touch it with a barge pole. But I think the profession should do it. I think the medical profession, rather than moaning all the time, and doctors are very, very good at moaning uh, and complaining about their lot, whether it's you know, staffing and bullying in the, mm. in the hospitals or whether it's workload in GPs. Why don't the doctors say, come on, it's enough. Let's do it differently. Let's come up with a different plan, the Mike Graham plan, £10 per consultation with no exemptions because yeah. if by the time you exempt the elderly children people on benefits people with chronic conditions that actually is 90 percent of the workload mm. of, of gp so no exemptions you can find charitable ways of dealing with people that can't afford it but i think it's the profession that the profession should not accept there are things that that hospitals and doctors do which are unacceptable no one should be given an appointment for 2024 to see our specialists. That should not be done. Mm. Now, anyone that does that should recognise they're working in a system that is failing. Yeah. No one who wants to see a GP should be given an appointment in three weeks' time. And anyone, any practice that does that is self-evidently failing. They should admit it to themselves and say, come on, let's work together. Let's have a different system. And, and in the end, it'll be what the dentists did, and they were brave to do it. Yeah. They said, well, we're going to take control of this, and we're going to make the system better. It's better for all. The argument against charging to see a GP has always been, oh, there'll be some poor old lady who dies because she can't get find the £10. Well, those people are dying anyway. They're mm. dying now. And so we're not going to be any worse off. We'll be better off. We'll improve access for everyone if we take the heat out of the system um, you know, we we pay congestion charge, we pay for food, we pay God, don't we know it for electricity? And there's no reason why healthcare should should be separate from from that side of things. No, I agree with that. But I would say, if the dentists have improved things, they must have been 
bloody awful before because they're not very good now. <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Gellis, thank you very much indeed. GP at same day. Doctor, of course, uh, we'll take your calls on the NHS. But uh, how about this from Terry in Ramsbottom on the Shamima Bacon case? He says, there is precedent for trying people here for crimes committed abroad. Paedophiles have been tried in British courts for crimes they have committed abroad. Well, I'm not sure that's true. It may well be. Uh, we'll discuss that. We'll take calls on uh, Shamima Bacon coming next on Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Apparently it's a state visit for King Charles today, the first one he's done. Uh, Republic of South Africa apparently visiting. Um, I'm not sure if they're in the World Cup. Don't know. We shall see. Today, uh, the shock was, of course, as you would have heard, uh, Saudi Arabia uh, beaten Argentina. Extraordinary. Absolutely amazing. Three disallowed goals from Argentina. We're going to talk now to Dean Saunders, TalkSport presenter, former Wales striker, of course, amongst many of his talents, uh, played uh, all over the place. Liverpool, of course, uh, over in Turkey as well. Dean, um, a very good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Afternoon, yeah, good. I'm just uh, in a bit of shock after that result we just watched. I'm un incredible, wasn't it? I mean, Argentina looked all over them at the beginning and then suddenly three goals that they didn't score. Do you think that was all fine? Were they all offside? Um, yeah, I never seen the penalty decision. Apparently, Graham Sinness and Roy Keane were arguing over whether it was a pen or not. I haven't seen that one. I, w I was on the breakfast show this morning. By the time I got back, they kicked off. Right. But I seen the I seen the offside decisions. They looked just offside. But I have to say, Saudi Arabia that played a lot better than I thought they could, and they played a they played a ridiculous high line at the back. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a matter of time before Argentina got through, but they couldn't. They couldn't find the right pass and uh, they got over the line. I mean, the referee must have played 15 minutes on at the end. Yeah, he did. There's uh, a lot of injury time getting played. There is a lot of injury time getting played, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, well, the goalkeeper went down. I mean, he's absolutely splattered the centre-back, his own centre-back. Yeah. So he's like, I mean, it's a horrific challenge. Um, so he was down for five minutes. Uh, the goalkeeper went down for a bit. Then he got yellow-carded. So there was time over, but... That has got to be up there, Mike, with one of the biggest upsets ever. Yeah, absolutely right. Cup. Absolutely right. Was there a bit of celebrating in the Welsh camp last night? I mean, I know 1-1, not a great result, but it's better than 1-0 down, isn't it? Uh, Mike, I mean, I don't know if you watched the game, but I the did. first half, we were awful. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say any better than that. I was shocked. Well, do you know what I, I enjoyed? There was a tweet from Dan Hodges. You said, um, uh, a respect to Gareth Bale for boycotting the first half because he wasn't allowed to wear the pride <laughs> armband. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, uh, you look at... We had a few there. That, uh, obviously, Joe Allen never made the game. He's got a hamstring. He might be fit for the next game. But Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale are, are probably 30% fit. Our yeah. two best players. And you've got a dilemma, haven't you, as a manager, as a nation, really. Do we wrap them up in Cottonwall and just get them on the pitch? Mm. Or do we make them train a bit harder and risk them getting injured? So I think Gareth struggled to move. He was like the tin man at times. Yeah. Aaron Ramsey was struggling. But for the equaliser, if you if you think back, Brennan John Johnson took a quick throw. Aaron Ramsey read it, cut it back. Gareth played clever play, put his body in between him and Zimmerman, and it's a penalty. Mm. And he takes the penalty. So he was out on the pitch, and when he's there, he saved us so many times. So it's a good point in the end. We were terrible first half, different game second half. Yeah. And how are you finding Qatar? I mean, you've been to plenty of these uh, in the past, plenty of World Cups and plenty of Euros and all of that. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, it's OK. I mean, it feels like as if they've just made a city, yeah. you know, started from scratch, just made it. 
uh, and everything's not finished. But uh, the stadium was nice last night. The pitch was nice. We're back into uh, the World Cup group. There's four games on every day. Yeah. So we're getting peppered with football. So it's the World Cup. It comes around every four years. And I think we've got to enjoy it while it's here, Mike. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think far too much emphasis has been put on other things. And hopefully now we can get on with the football because there's more of it. And there's stories like today's story, um, which is remarkable. Yeah, and, um, you know, we, we all know, obviously, when, they, when uh, they got given the World Cup, we all know it wasn't right. Um, and they just sort of like, you know, is it for everyone? Uh, well, we'll come to that when it comes along. You know, that, that's right. You know, what about the migrant workers? Yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously they were going to, no matter what, it was dodgy. But we're here now. And, um, you know, we're talking yesterday in the build-up to the England game about Harry Kane wearing the armband and they were going to book every every captain that wore it. Mm. And the teams have sort of decided decided against it because imagine if Harry Kane gets booked after a minute, obviously for, for wearing the armband and then he gets sent off and he misses the next. So I think everybody's just, you know, folded like a pack of cards. Uh, but let's get on with the football now. We, we're, we're on with it. And um, it's right to make a stand about it because... Otherwise, it'll happen again. Yeah, right. And so, how good? Um, how good? I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasm as you can imagine back here in the papers about England and their performance. Um, how good was it? Do you think? Oh, I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I have to say because I've done a bit of research on the Iranian team. Um, I think they're in turmoil. You know, that, uh, as a country, really, yeah. that fo- football-wise, um, they qualified quite easily, really easily. Then they sacked the manager because there was a revolt with the players. Mm. Carlos Queiroz, the former Man United uh, coach, oh, yeah. was given the job. They beat Uruguay, drew with Senegal, two great results. They go into this game with a few pol- politics sort of hanging over them. A few of them refused to sing the national anthem. And I think the players, the, the camp, not only are they you know, underdogs, but I don't think they're happy in the camp and they've got absolutely battered by England yesterday Yeah, uh, and, and we're playing them next Wales and I'm sure they won't come out with that frame of mind I, I think they'll be tougher opposition because you beat Uruguay and draw Senegal you're a decent team yeah absolutely right and what about the United States they're always quite difficult do you think they'll give England some problems no I think England will knock three or four past them um, I watched them last night we are, we are, they've got us on the floor. Tactically, we got it wrong. They pinned us back. And all the football is pretty. And it's been thrown at them in the past that they're a pretty football team, but they've got no killer instinct. Mm. And last night, we were on the floor and they could have finished us off, but they let us get back up off the floor. And we've ended up getting a result against them. So they'll feel like they've dropped two, two points. They've looked at the England game and thought, we're not getting anything there. We're in big trouble. Yeah. You know, at least we play around next and we fancy ourselves to get three points there. That'll give us four points going into the England game. Hopefully England have already qualified by by thumping four. Yeah. And then we we might even get through on goal difference. Be amazing, wouldn't it, if Wales get through out of the group? Yeah, well, you know, considering I've just looked at the population league table in the World Cup this morning. Yeah. Obviously, America are at the top with 350 million people. We're second from bottom. Qatar are bottom with uh, 3 right. million. We've got 3.5 million people in the country. They've got 300 million. Yeah. So we've got, we've got no re- right to beat them at football, really. But we've got uh, you know, a tradition and we've got a bit of spirit. 
And I think last night, after playing that bad, you can only say you're proud of the players to get a result from playing that bad, sticking together. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. Good to see you, Dean. Hopefully we'll see you again uh, over the course of the next month. Dean Saunders, TalkSport presenter. TalkSport, of course, have got every single game, every day. It's all live uh, right here on this very network. 1pm, Denmark against Tunisia. 4pm, uh, Mexico, Poland. 7pm tonight, France, Australia. You might call that uh, the big one. Uh, we shall see. Uh, lots more to do, though. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeremy Carl coming up very shortly. Uh, he's up at 7 o'clock with Jeremy Carl live. We'll take more of your calls, of course, too. And Ian Collins is here from one. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.